Those of you who have heard me before know that I, I come with notes. Those stories that happened. Last year I was asked to speak at the uh, second home where Linda was uh, oh, wow. And when I walked in, so uh, Linda told all the other ladies that were sitting with her, I know him. He comes prepared. He always has those little notes with him. <laughs> that was my introduction to the second home. <clears throat> we'll talk about the parasha. <clears throat> Yaakov Avinu has been working in his father-in-law's house for all these years, 20 years. And Hashem says to him, it's time to leave. Lovon is just making trouble. His sons are questioning everything you've done. You work so efficiently and so uh, laboriously to try to do the right thing, and yet all they do is complain mm -hmm. and they try to trick you time and time again. It's time to leave. So the Torah says that Yaakov called to his wives to meet him out in the field because mm -hmm. he wants to tell them something. When, he comes out, when they come out to the field, so he tells them that, uh, you know, your father's been this deceitful person, and uh, it's time to leave. So there's a very interesting pusik about this, the time that Yaakov calls to his wife. So it's a simple pusik, like Yishlach Yaakov, Yaakov sent. By Yigrola Rachel Uleya, and he called to Rachel and Leah, Hasada to the field, El Tsono to his sheep. That's what the Pesach says. So we can analyze a few of the different phrases in the Pesach just to get the uh, context in which what we're going to be said, what we're going to say is what's said. First of all, whom did he send? He was out in the field. They were back home. Who did he send? So the Gemara says that he sent Naphtali. Naphtali was Ayola Shalucha. He was like a swift deer. And, and therefore, he was the one that was sent. If you remember the story, later on when Yaakov dies, and they want to bury him in the Maras Hamach Pelah, so Esau's family said, no, 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 Esau owns property there. The plot you, where you want to bury Yaakov doesn't belong to him. They said, no, we have a deed. We have a deed. We have proof. They said, where's your proof? The proof is back in Egypt. They said, well, you better send somebody to go get it. So who did they send? They sent Naphtali, because he was the swift-footed son. So Naphtali ran to Egypt, brings back the deed in enough time to uh, prove that the claim for Yaakov is, is a correct one. So Naphtali is the one that you sent. So the Mepharshim say that presumably it doesn't say who he sent, it's just by Yishlach he sent. But what can, we can assume that it was the same Naphtali. Then the Torah says, by Yikrola Rochel Ululeah. Actually, Leah was his first wife. We know the story. Mm -hmm. Only after Malishua Hazos. After the Shevard Brothers. People think it means they waited seven years and then he married Rachel. Yeah. No, yeah. they waited a week. Right? You can't, you can't marry two in one week. So he waited after the Shevard Brothers. Then he married Rachel. And then he had to work off you know, the agreement that he had made. But in any event, Leah was the first wife. So why does it say he called to Rachel Ulaleya? So Rashi says the reason is because even though Leah was his first wife and Leah bore him the majority of his children, nevertheless the Ikeres Habayas, his main wife, was Rachel. And it said there's a passage in Rus later on that says that even the children of Leah conceded that fact. Hmm. And they themselves said that uh, Hashem should make you like Rachel and Leah, again mentioning Rachel first. Wow. So here also. The Torah mentions he calls to Rochel Ulaleya. Okay. 
question is asked, what about that he had two other wives? Yeah. They were the maid servants, we're talking about Bilal and Zilpah. Yeah. So what about them? So the Russians say, no, that they were, uh, they were out in the field. Hmm. It was only Rachel and Leah that were back home. Huh. They were the mistresses, so to speak. But the, uh, the maid servants, they were out in the field. They were working too. So he didn't have to call to them to come into the field. Okay. Why did he call them out to the field? I mean, that's the obvious question. So the Gemara says, it's actually Medrash. No microphones. The Medrash says, Osnayim la kosel. The walls have ears. You've heard this expression. In other words, this is before the dead times of eavesdropping and wiring and all kinds of uh, insidious uh, overhearing of conversations. Uh-huh. Sure. But even then, Osnayim Lakosel, somehow the walls have ears. What does that mean? There might be someone on the other side of the wall. The wall can be thin. Sometimes you can hear conversations that are going on. The next room, people think they're alone, and they don't realize that people are hearing, uh, you know. In any event, so since Osnayim Lakosal, the walls have ears, therefore Yaakov Avinu knew full well that he doesn't want Lovan to know that he's leaving. He wants to sneak out, so to speak. In fact, Lovan even said to him, you you took my daughters, uh, like stealing them away, like like you kidnapped them, so to speak. But that was the purpose. He knew that if Lovin would know that he's about to leave, they wouldn't let him. So therefore, because the whole bracha came as a result of, uh, of Yaakov's uh, <coughs> work and so on. So therefore, he wanted to make sure that nobody would hear about it. So that's why he called them to come, El Hasadeh, that's why to the field. Okay. It's actually another Pasuk, a Pasuk in Kahelis, which says, even in your the privacy of your own home, your own bedroom, the madacha, wherever you you think you're alone, no, don't curse the king. Why? Because the oif hashemayim yitenas hakol. You've heard the expression "a little birdie told me." That's where it comes from. A little birdie told me because there are birds. There are birds, and what does that mean again? You hear a voice. You hear a part of a conversation, and and one tells another, and what you think is a private secret that you whisper to somebody uh, it, no, there's, there's no secret so to speak. It goes so far as to say, it says the madach, or really just means in your thoughts even in your thoughts don't curse the king because he'll find out about it. I mean we're not, we're not in the age of mind control, I mean that people know what you're thinking, but the answer is if you think about something all the time <coughs> eventually it, you'll say it, you'll tell it to somebody or you'll, you'll blurt it out, or maybe in your sleep you'll... Because if you're thinking about it all the time, so it comes out, and that's just human nature. And therefore, you have to be very careful even what you're thinking, because somehow the word will get to the authorities, the king will find out about it. Don't curse, don't, don't, don't say anything bad, because uh, even during the war, wasn't there in World War II? I mean, I was told that there was an expression, loose lips, Sink ships. Try saying that ten times fast, but uh, but that is but that is true. Loose lips. You have to be very careful what you say because the words can can make, can spread and there's no such thing as secrets and so on. Okay. So this is the concept. This is the idea of walls having ears, and therefore it's good advice. If nothing else, we learn a piece of advice that it's better not to uh, tell any secrets where you can be overheard. Today, it goes without saying that uh, where there's all kinds of, you know, eavesdropping and all kinds of uh, listening in and who knows where. So be very careful what you do. Um, I don't use the computer, but I'm told that if you do put anything in the computer and you think you're alone and nobody knows what you did or saw whatever, it's, it's not true. It's all there and there's a record and, uh, and it's not just in Shemayim. They're watching. They're it's watching. on your hard drive. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just good advice to be very careful about not, not uh, saying anything that you would not want to be said publicly. And certainly anything with, uh, with the screen, with the computers and so on. Okay. There's a... Um, <coughs> with that same idea... You have a very interesting Gemara. Rabbi Akiva, the famous Rabbi Akiva said, he said, there are three <coughs> things that I admire, it's actually that I love. Shloshadvarmani ohev 
Asan Modiyim. Those from Modai. Goyim, they're not Jewish. He says, but there's three things that I, I love about them. I admire them. Gemara lists what they are. That when they cut meat, they don't cut it in their hand. In other words, they don't hold a piece of, let's say, a, I'm going to slice a piece of meat. So they don't hold the meat in one hand and then take the knife and, and cut. I mean, you do it with bread too. Take a piece, take a roll, and you want to cut it in half. He says, no, they don't cut things while holding it. He says, I admire them. They're Rocket scientists. Yeah, I it because you can cut your hand. Okay. Also, he says, when, when they greet each other, we're not talking about men and women, but just right. men greet each other or women greet each other, he says, they kiss on the hand. Ah. It's on the hand. It's more uh, hygienic, I guess, in yes. that sense. And, and, and the, what's the third thing? And the third thing is, is that when they want to tell a council, when they want to discuss things, they always go out into the field. Ah. Same idea. Hmm. What we know from Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu knew this, Rabbi Akiva says, I admire the Madiyim because they, they also are very careful. They won't tell a secret in the house because someone can hear. They'll always go outside to make sure to that, not to spread the word. So the question is asked, I mean, why did Rabbi Akiva have to admire the Madiyim? I mean, Yaakov Avinu did it. Why does he have to look to, to the, the, the Spanish nation to something to admire? He should have learned the lesson from Yaakov Avinu. Well, there were a lot of Mosrim in that time. There were always a Mosrim. Mosrim are snitchers. People would tell on other people. Well, this, that's always true. But especially in the time of the Romans, okay, there may a lot be true. of Jews that Okay, did that. but he's admiring the Modiyim. Why does he have to admire the Modiyim? Why not learn from Yaakov Avinu? That's a question that the most question. Good question. Oh, so that's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, actually, what, what I was going to say is a little later, but since you mentioned it now, I'll mention. It. I'll tell you that the question is asked. Um, we even talked about this once. One time, when the, the Torah says "Lo name. In your relationship with the non-Jews, lo name, and there are three different interpretations of what that means. One is lo name means the word chinam. Don't give them something for nothing. That's what it says. Don't give them something for nothing. Another one says lo name. Don't give them chania. Don't give them land. You're not allowed to sell. If you own a house in Eretz Yisrael, you're not allowed to sell it to the Arabs. That's halacha, because it should be Jewish owned. What they own, they own. But for you to sell a house to a non-Jew, it's wrong. Lo We talked about this once. And then the third one is, Lo sitan which means don't compliment them. Because if people see that you're complimenting non-Jews, so you start to admire them, they want to start to emulate their ways, and it could easily lead to Jews adopting non-Jewish uh, ways of life and so on. So because of that, Lo don't give them any... Uh, compliments, so to speak. So the question is asked, so how, that's, isn't Rabbi Akiva doing that? Rabbi Akiva says, right, oh, he, he says, absolutely is. <coughs> seems that way, right? He says, I need ohev. Ohev means love. So even if you want to say he didn't love them, but he, right. he admired them, right. he's complimenting them. Sure. So. so why is that not a uh, violation of that one interpretation of lo name, not to give them chen, don't, don't, don't compliment them. I saw two very interesting answers to this question. One is, <clears throat> what he was saying is, not that he was complimenting them, even though the words seemed to sound that way. What he was trying to drive home the point is that he wants people to do this. Rabbi Kiev is telling people, if you have a secret, don't tell it in your home. Tell that in the field. Go outside and nobody can hear you. When you're cutting meat or bread, don't cut it in your hand. He wants to... It's not just that he's saying what he admires. That's his way of telling Jews how they should act. And when you when you greet somebody, it's <coughs> on the hand. Don't it's, it's cleaner. It's it's uh, more hygienic and so on. Okay. So because he was trying to tell Jews what to do, what he was saying was, if the Madiyim, these no goodniks, he wasn't saying, oh, I, I admire them. He wasn't giving them a compliment. It was what we used to call a left-handed compliment. It's a, yeah, what he was saying was, they're no good, and yet they do this. 
So therefore, we who we, we're supposed to be better, we certainly should be careful about that, including not telling secrets in the house, go outside where nobody can hear you. That was one answer. The second answer was, and that's some of what you were saying is, what he was saying was that my DMD... There are three things that I like about the Modiyam. They do hundreds of things. Of all the things they do, there's only three that I like. Oh. <laughs> That's not a compliment. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. What was the significance about, the, about cutting on their hand? What was okay, that? well, that's actually a topic for another evening. Okay. Oh. Like, we're discussing one about not putting <coughs> secrets in the home. Okay, but I just mentioned it briefly because it's dangerous. You can cut yourself. I know. It's more of a practical reason. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't the person just from their own common sense? Well, okay. So you, so it's possible. It's possible that you're influenced by the fact that you were brought up in America, where people are civilized and eat with a knife and a fork, and they sit down to a to a, a meal. They don't just grab whatever's there and eat with their hands and so on. So okay, okay. Excuse me. What? that he said was so much more uh, important. Okay. Well, I don't, know, I don't know anything that's more important than giving a person advice as to not to injure themselves by saying don't cut. But again, but that's not tonight's topic, so rather I get far afield. But it's interesting, maybe we can make it into a topic one evening, perhaps. I don't know if there's that, that much on the subject, but research might, might bring it. But in any event, getting back to our topic, which is again, Yaakov Avinu making a point to go out into the field to tell his right. wives that they're leaving. Yes. Yaakov had two wives, two maidservants, whatever you want to call them. Okay. Kids, a bunch of animals. Yes. How much of a secret could it have been? I mean, Laban would have found out pretty, I mean, it's part of the Okay, but, okay, but the, the, the Gemara says that he was actually working three days' journey away. Okay. So that's how they had a three-day. They, they had a three-day head start. He actually caught up to them yeah. because he was so uh, yeah. enraged by the <laughs> fact that they left. So you know, right. he had the the love and equivalent of what we call pizza sadera, where just somehow he jumped uh, more than normally. He went 100 miles an hour or something like that, and he caught up to them. But he did have a, they did have a three days journey. But you have to realize we're so used to cell phones and, and all kinds oh, of communication. Sure. I mean, then yeah. it was. Uh, well, just think back to when we were kids growing sure. up. I mean, you, you didn't know what was going on in the next hour. <laughs> you had no way of knowing. Sure. Only thing is, then you could find a, a, a phone booth. Superman goes. Daddy, what's a phone booth? No idea. What Superman do today? Go to the bathroom. Starbucks. Starbucks. <laughs> You have to go to his own website. Question is asked. How did the rabbis of the Midrash know that Yaakov Avinu, the reason why he called the wives to the field right. was because he didn't want to tell them in the house because the walls have ears. We are told that Yaakov Avinu was so conscientious in his work. He never slept. It says, he didn't sleep. All those years he didn't sleep. He worked day and night. It seems not humanly possible, but whatever, he had a miracle, whatever. <coughs> so he didn't waste a minute. He was conscientious in the summer, in the winter, cold, not nothing. He worked. He was conscientious. So that meant that if he wanted to tell his wives that they're, they're going to leave and so on, mm -hmm. he, didn't, he, he couldn't stop in the middle of the day. He couldn't give up from the time of his work. So how do we know, how do we know that the reason why he called them to, out into the field was because you, can't, you shouldn't tell secrets at the home. Maybe he called, called them out to the field is because he couldn't get away from his job, so to speak. That's the, and in fact, there are those who want to say that the Rebbe Akiva, who learned the lesson from the Madiyim, did not want to learn the lesson from Yaakov, because from Yaakov it was not conclusive. Because Yaakov was working. He couldn't get away. He was in the field. So maybe when he called his wives out to the field, was to tell them because he couldn't get away. But by the Madiyim, 
There the Gemara says, they make it a point to go out to the field. They're in the house. Right. They're next to their wives. They could just whisper right. to them right then and there. But no, the Madi make a point to go out into the field. So that's why some want to say that that's why Rabbi Akiva learned the lesson from the from the Goyim, from the Madiim, and not from Yaakov Levin. But those, and, and this is a medrash, it's not just a uh, folk saying, the walls have ears. It's actually a medrash. I have an interesting safer at home where if you tell me a Hebrew saying, I can look it up if it's in there, and I'll tell you what its source is. So I was curious to see what is the source of Oznayim Lakosel. Because Rashi in the Gemara says, the Amri Inshi, people say. And that generally means it's like a folk saying. You know, it's like we all grew up with different sayings, you know, in sure. one family, a family saying, a folk saying. Sometimes the same idea will be true in different cultures, different, in different languages. The same expression will be in different cultures. So that's what a folk saying is. It doesn't have its basis in, in, in our sages, in the Chazal, and the Gemara, and the Medrash. It's a folk saying. And the Gemara very often will quote, say, will quote folk saying. So I was curious to see what's the source of Oznayim Lakosel. The walls have ears. Is it just a folk saying? And I look it up, and sure enough, it's a Medrash. It's a Medrash Rabbah in my Yipro. And I can tell you, it happens to be 32, uh, chapter 32. So it's actually the a midrash is saying was Nayim Lakosa. Okay. So it's not just a folk saying. Why Rashi calls it a folk saying? So some want to say, because since the only place in the Gemara where we have mentioned about going out into the field to tell a secret is from whom? It's from the Goyim, from the Madiyim. They don't know it from the Medrash. They know it as a folk saying. So that's why Rashi says it's a folk saying to go out into the field. But really, if you want to know, it's actually a medrash. So that being the case, if it's a medrash, now, Rabbi Akiva is a Tana, Rabbi Akiva can disagree with a medrash. He, he's on the same level. So you can have different opinions, and sure. very often you'll have different midrashim that have different opinions. But it seems that the, the majority of the commentators say that indeed the reason why Yaakov went out into the field was in order to not tell a secret in the house. That being the case, though, what about the idea that he couldn't leave his work anyway? I mean, that is a fact. He was conscientious in his work. So how does that prove it? So others want to say, well, one of several answers. One answer is that he had to come home sometime. Right. <laughs> so he could tell them, if it wasn't true that it was Nayim Lakosa, right. if it wasn't true that the walls have ears, and it's true he's conscientious, but he's got to come home sometime. Well, it's true, he worked all the time, but he had wives, he had children, right. he had a family. So he's home. So if he's home, therefore there could have been a time for him to tell the wives in private. Right. The fact that he called to them, he sent Naftali to bring them out into the field, is a proof that the walls must have ears. Others want to say differently. From the fact that why did he have to call to both Rachel and Leah? Why couldn't he call one to come out into the field? Call Rachel, presumably it's his main, his main wife. Call Rachel out into the field. Tell Rachel, and then tell him, go back. I, he says, I can't, I can't leave. I'm working here. I'm busy. I'm working. But you go back and tell Leah what our plans are, and we're going to be leaving soon. You're going to be disrespectful to Leah. No, it's not this disrespectful. Well, I, I don't. Maybe didn't want one wife to Please, 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 please. Let, let me just address his question. And I, I can't concentrate on more than one. Your question is, would it, it would be disrespectful to Leah? Yes. Like, well, let's put it this way. I have some experience dealing with one wife. I have no idea how one deals with two wives. So... So, so, so any answer that I'll give you will just yeah. be conjecture. It's just conjecture. But I assume that there's, like in anything, there's, there's a, a way to say something that doesn't hurt feelings, right. and there's a way to say something that does. So it's quite possible that Leia may have even appreciated not being, would have appreciated not being called out into the field as well. Mm -hmm. Why do we both have to go out? Give you a message to, to Rachel. 
Leah was fully aware of the relationship that the special relationship that Yaakov oh, had sure. with Rachel mm-hmm. she certainly knew that the fact that she was the tzaddikis and gave over the, the, the simonim so that he so he, Yaakov would think that indeed that it was uh, Rachel when it was Leah when he gave over right, the codes right. and sure, everything sure, sure. we're not discussing that now but we all know that Leah was a tzaddikis in that how many of us would, would do that Nevertheless, right. nevertheless. When Rachel was the Was it Rachel was also the Vegas or Leah? I said Leah was the Giving over the Simonim. I'm sorry? It was Rachel who gave over the coast to Leah. I'm sorry, you are right. Yes. Rachel gave over the coast to Leah. Excuse me. Yes, that's true. But nevertheless, Leah was aware what that Rachel was the Keras Abayas. So I'm sure the Yaakov, the smart man that he was, would have been able to if there was no problem of the walls having ears, he could have just called to Rachel to come out of this. Send Naftali, bring back Rachel. Right. Told Rachel what the plans are. Right. And Rachel could have gone back to Leah and told her in the privacy of their uh, quarters that, you know, we're going to sneak out the soon and ears. so on. But <laughs> the fact that he had a... That's exactly the point. The fact that he had to call both Rachel and Leah to the field, and as I said before, Bill and Zilpa they were already out in the field, right. so therefore all the wives, all the people who needed to know, would be told all at the same time. So that's how they want to prove, that's true, Yaakov could, couldn't have gotten away from the work, but he didn't have to call for both of them to come, that seems to be the point. Okay. <clears throat> There's an interesting um, Musa lesson that some of the Mepharshim want to bring from this learn from this Gemara and from this whole idea of uh, the way the pains that Yaakov took to explain to Rachel and Leah why they are leaving. After all, besides the discomfort that Yaakov obviously had been feeling this whole time working on the lover, the reason for leaving was only because Hashem told him, you have to leave. You have to go back to Eretz so when he's telling Rochel and Leah that we're going to be leaving, why wouldn't it have just been enough to say, I just got a message from God, Hashem just told me that we're going to be leaving. These are very religious people. Mm-hmm. Rochel, Leah. If Yaakov would have said to Rochel and Leah, I just got this, this prophecy, the voice of God, God talks to me, and this is what he told me, we're going to be leaving. That would have been enough. Why was it necessary for Yaakov to reiterate all the bad doings of Lavan, all the things that he did, and then he switched the deal ten times, and whatever he did with with the spotted uh, sheep, with with all the different tricks that he tried to pull, and in spite of it, Yaakov was successful and wealthy, and uh, all that transpired. Why was it necessary to Yaakov, and why does the Torah have to spend time? Every word in the Torah is precious. Why would it spend time telling us the lengths that Yaakov went to explain to Rachel? So this concept is brought down in several different forms. They say that you have an obligation, you as a parent, you as a teacher, you as a person of influence, perhaps a rabbi or some leader in a community, anyone who's in a position to command somebody to do something. And they have to listen. Nevertheless, not to rely on your jurisdiction and your authority, but rather to take the time and the pains to explain to the person why you're telling them what you're doing, what, why, you, why you said whatever you said. All of us, I'm sure, as parents, have been guilty of doing this. The child says, why do I have to do this? <laughs> I said so, I said so. <laughs> and I pay the bills, and it's my house, and all the other <laughs> strutting that takes place when a parent is going to show their authority. We're all guilty of that. These Muslim farms say that's wrong. wrong. And they use a very interesting phrase, it's a two-word <laughs> phrase. And if, if 
if all of us walk away from this class with nothing else but remembering these two words or two Hebrew words but it's equivalent in English it will have been worth the entire Parsian pizza program from its first day it would have been worth it just for that and that is the two words are you're obligated to be memayet binasoyo try to minimize the trial and tribulation that your listener is going through when you tell them something. Because every person who is told something has a natural, inborn, reflective, a reflexive action to say no. We're all independent creatures. We don't want to be told. A child doesn't want to be told by his parents. The student doesn't want to be told by the teacher. The wife doesn't want to be told by the husband, and certainly the husband doesn't want to be told by the wife. We all bulk against authority. We all revolt. We don't want to be told. So now, yes, what we're told, we're told we have no choice. We have no choice. Yes, we must do it. And yes, Hashem has told us things that we must do, and we don't understand it, and we do it anyway. Why can't I have my? Why can't I have linen and wool in my same garment? Why can't I mix meat and milk? A cheeseburger? What's wrong with that? Please let me just finish, and then I'll get the question. So therefore, yes, there are things that we are told we must do without understanding them, and there are other things that we are given an insight as to why we're being told certain things. One is called a chok. One is called a mishpah. The same way, when authority is being flexed. You must do what I tell you. If there is a possibility, now there isn't always a possibility, but if there's a possibility that you can explain to the child, to the student, to the listener, to the congregant, no matter who it is, the spouse, whatever it is, if you can explain the reason, then what you've done is you've made it so much easier for that same person to comply with your demand and request. So you are mamayate, you are limiting, you are reducing the nesoyom, the test, the, 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 the trial that every person is going through. Do I re- reject authority? Do I try to revolt against it? Or do I just accept it? Try to be mamayate bin nesoyom. And that was Yaakov was doing. Yaakov could have just said, God said we're going and we're going and that's it. Pack your bag. But no, no. He took pains to explain to his wives why we're going. Your father's no good, and 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 it's we it's, we got to get going. And it's interesting. What was their reaction when he told them that? What did they say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said Kinochrios. We're like strangers to our own father, because they saw it. So that when they went, now they went with him willingly. They would have gone anyway, but God said they have to go. My husband said, in this case, I have to go, I have to listen. But that's not the point. You take the pains to try to explain to them. This is, this is, uh, I wish I would have known this a long time ago. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, it's an interesting fact, that, and I agree with it, and to the point where if you came to my classroom, uh-huh. and you looked around my classroom, most classrooms post classroom rules, I don't post any rules. Somebody asked me about that the other day. It's like, not a student teacher, but somebody comes from a university. They, they want to be a teacher when they grow up, you know? So they're seeing me in action. That ought to change your mind. But anyway, it's like, so where, where are the rules? I said, um, no, as soon as you put up the rules, just what you just said, the students want to break them, and then you put up no cell phones, and you put up no this, no that, and right away there's cell phones, there's food, there's this and that. So what I do is if, you know, someone does have a cell phone out, which let's face it, kids are addicted to their cell phones. So are adults. <laughs> a lot of wireheads around. So I go over to them and I say, look, do me a favor. I really don't want to take your cell phone away. Don't make me the bad guy. Put it away. I don't want to see it again. And it works. Yes. My question is related to the partial, but not what you've spoken on, but maybe you can answer it. Maybe some other time. Okay. Yes. 
have a yeah. question. Okay. I think you're here on this first, yes. Okay. Oh. No, I think you were first. No, something you had mentioned, and I've heard this before, and I've read it, but I'm, I'm not understanding why it is, the mixing of the fabrics in linen and wool when other fabrics are mixed together and it's acceptable. What is it about linen and wool that doesn't, that's not supposed to be mixed together as opposed to, you can have cotton and polyester and other, mm -hmm. what, what about those two? Okay, the simple answer is that this falls under the category of chal, which means a law which we were not given the answer, the reason for it. I know what the, so, Okay, so I, I don't know the answer. Um, there are those who, there are different theories. There are those who say that if you remember when, uh, going back to Cain and Abel, right, Cain and Abel. So um, one brought a carbon from animals. One brought a carbon from plants. Mm. And that's what the linen and wool is. Linen is from the flax, it's from plants. Okay. Right? And wool is from an animal. Right. So you're sort of mixing <coughs> Cain and Abel together by doing that. But these are just that theories. It's a subject for another time. It'll be a very interesting topic. What's the rationale behind Chatnays? That's what that's called, the mixture. But that's not for tonight. But that's the simple answer for you. Yes. Is it possible, in addition to what you're saying, but wasn't Rachel and Leah, weren't Rachel and Leah on a high level? Yes. And therefore, they, if he had said, Hashem said, they could have said, hey, we, we, we're listening to him. He doesn't have to say it to us. Why, why is he saying it to you and not to us? Oh, so now, now you're just getting to the question of, of equality between the husband and the two wives. Is that what you're saying? I don't saying? know if I'm saying it as much right. equality yeah. as that. You know, maybe that's that's the reason he didn't say. No, but know, he, no, he also told them. No, 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 no. He also told them that Hashem said. He did tell oh, them that. But he also went to try to explain oh. the situation. No, 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 no. He, it's not that he left Hashem out of the uh, out of the command, out of the equation. No, not at all. But as far as uh, there, there are, in the, for instance, in the case of Avram and Sarah, Sarah in certain instances was actually greater in, in the void in prophecies in Avram and Avinu. So uh, equality is, is a question, perhaps, I guess, for another time. But clearly, they were the wives of a Navi. I mean, Yaakov Avinu certainly at the level of a Navi. And Hashem spoke to him directly and so on. They were the wives of the Navi. Maybe they were equal to him and so on. But as to why Hashem said it to them, he said it to him and not to them. He did say it, that's what I'm saying. He, no, he, he did say it to, it to yeah, He said it to him. Okay. Right. Yeah, no, he did tell them, yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I saw a fascinating story told about the Chazonish. Chazonish was Rabbi Karelitz. He died in 1953. He was one of the leaders of, of Jewry, one of the biggest rabbis in Israel. A chazonish, controversial figure, <clears throat> very strict in many instances, but he was very knowledgeable. And he was like, like we said, Moshe Feinstein, in, in, you know, with such reverence. So, 50 years, well, he died in 53, so 70 years ago, 60 years ago, chazonish, he was the leader of B'nai Brak. And an interesting story that was brought down by Rabbi Moshe Sternbuch, who again is one of the leaders in Israel today. And in this Sefer, he tells the following story. I myself have, have a, like a mixed reaction to the story, and that's why I'm not going to try to convince you that he's right, because frankly, I'm not sure that he's right myself. But you'll make your own decision, and you'll make your own judgment as to whether you like the story or you don't like the story. But it has to do with this very same puzzle. Okay. <clears throat> I mentioned before, when I mentioned about shatnays, about linen and wool and so on, mm -hmm. that we have two categories of mitzvahs, those that we are given the reason for and those that we are not given the reason for. What difference does it make? God told us to do it, so whether we understand the reason or we don't understand the reason, it really should make no difference. True. But there is a difference. The difference is, is it, is, is it all right in your heart to want to do the thing that the Torah says not to do. When I pass by the McDonald's, yeah. assuming that I would be interested in tasting what they have to sell, assuming I would be, 
smells good, everybody else is eating it, they're all licking their chops, so to speak, and everything <laughs> chops is a bad pun. But, uh, <laughs> and they're uh, enjoying it, and I'm hungry, and I haven't eaten for a day. And, uh, and I, is it okay for me to say, you know, I really wish I could eat there. But what can I do? God said no, and so it's no. And I go on. Hopefully I'm disciplined enough not to go in. Hopefully. <clears throat> or is it, should, should my attitude be, if God said, don't eat pig, or don't eat the meat, even beef, that wasn't slaughtered, with the rabbis, or all the things, it's not kosher, so to speak. I don't even want it. Even if, even if, if all of a sudden... God would come down, a voice would come down and say, you know what, for one day anything goes. That's good. Would I want to go or say, no, I have no interest. If the rest of the year is no good, I, I don't even want it. Right. Okay. So maybe McDonald's is a bad example because it's, maybe it's cheap and so on, but there are some very fine restaurants sure. and you wish you could eat it. So is it, what should the attitude be? Is it okay to say, I wish I could eat it or not? Yes. In my opinion, for whatever it's worth, I think it's okay to, to think it, but not do it, because you're, you're human. But to okay. not do it, yeah. you're, you're trying to raise yourself. Okay, so that's an interesting thought. But let, let me tell you what our rabbis tell us about this. Okay. So whether or not it's okay to want to do something that the Torah said not to do. So, the, so the, the rule is, it depends whether it's a chok or a mishpat. Ah. Oh. A chok or a mishpat. A chok or a mishpat. Yeah. It depends what it is. Let us take, for instance, the law of shatnesis. Totally a chok. Okay. Let us say there's a garment in the store. And I look at the label, and it says 50% uh, wool, 30% uh, linen. Let's say, that's, they're already telling me this is shotnays. I don't have to have it tested. I don't have to, there's no question. But I like it. It's, it's my size, and it looks right. It's my color. It matches my whatever. Price is right. <laughs> Price is right. Okay. Is it okay for me to say, you know, I'm not going to buy it. Because the Torah says I'm not allowed to buy it, I'm not allowed to wear it. But I wish I could. If only I could. I wish maybe the rabbis one day would allow it. I, is, is, that, is it okay for me to say I wish I could have it? The answer is yes. There's nothing wrong with wanting it. Why? Because since no reason was given for it, and we just have to accept it on faith, that this is the way we were taught, the Torah says, do not wear shatnes, do not wear a garment that has a linen and wool. So therefore, I don't wear it. But to want it, to wish I could wear it, perfectly okay. person has to say, Efshi, I want it. What can I do? My father in heaven, told me I can't have If, however, the law in question is something that the seichel, our own intellect, tells us that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for it. Not to steal. We understand. Any, any thinking person realizes that you can't have a society where, where everybody's stealing. And nothing is sacred, nothing is yours. And everybody's stealing from everybody else. And stealing leads to killing and all kinds of things. Yes, are there societies where stealing, where people steal all day long? Or societies where people kill all day long? It's a way of life? Yes. But they're not thinking people. A thinking person with seichel would realize that there's a reason for it. Why the Torah? The things that there's a reason for it, and our seichel tells us, then even wanting it is wrong. Mm. So that's a distinction that's made in, in the rabbinical writings between a law that we're given the reason for it. Now, we'll get to the Chassanish in a minute. So now, when it came to the story of Yaakov and his wives, Tell them that they're leaving. He, if he had told them, God said we've got to leave, don't ask me why, I'm not giving you any explanation, we follow what God says. Okay? So at that point, would it have been all right for his wives to say, 
Okay, Yaakov. God said, we're going, we're going. But I wish we, would, we could stay. I wish I didn't have to travel and all that packing and whatever they would have said. <laughs> would, it been, would it have been all right for them to say, I wish we didn't have to go? The answer is yes, because no explanation was given. It's a hope. God says to do it, you got to do it. So at that point, so at that point, the they would have been all right for them to want to go. Excuse me, to want to stay home. It would have been all right for them to want to disobey the law, but you want it? I want it in my heart. I, I want it. The reason why Yaakov told them the reason for going, because now, if they understand the reason, if he's able to explain to them in a way that they understand, now it becomes a mishpat. Now it becomes a law that has a reason to it. If a law has a reason to it, then you're not even allowed to want to disobey it. Even in your heart, you're not allowed to disobey it. So Yaakov wanted that his wives should not just begrudgingly come with him back to Israel. No. He wanted them to see the validity of Hashem's command. He wanted them to see the reason why he had commanded them to go. Now, we come now to the story with the Chazanish. Oh, yes, we have a question first. You said you're not even allowed to want to disobey it. And you can't help what you want. It's so hard to do that. So okay, so that's exactly why you would come out on a rainy, stormy night like this in order to develop your own character. Exactly. And that's what we're all doing here. We're trying to grow. We're trying to discipline ourselves. So what I hear you yes. saying is, if you don't want to, then it's just as bad. So even though we're doing it, if you don't want to, well then, you want to disobey. No, not at, not all. at all. Not at all. You wish you didn't have to do it. That's not the same thing as, I want to disobey. You wish the thing was different. You wish the laws were different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, there, is, it, is it wrong to want to go to eat the trefer for lamb and young? That's what you seem to be saying. I'm saying that it's perfectly okay to wish that you could eat it, to desire to eat it, and only reason why you're not doing it is because God said so. Because he did not give us the reason why you're not allowed to eat non-kosher meat. No explanation has ever been given. The explanation, when, when somebody explains something, yes. I don't mean, you know, the Torah, but yes. the person, yes. how much leeway do you have? I mean, suppose you're explaining something just to mollify somebody and not giving them the real reason. No, we're, we're, we're discussing truth here. We're not discussing anything less than the truth. <coughs> well, I don't mean necessarily no. less than truth, but if a kid... Uh, want something that they shouldn't have yes. to say, oh, it'll make you sick, but that's really not the reason... Oh, you have to be truthful with children. Yeah. You have to be truthful with whatever the reason is. No, no, but, but I'm, I'm trying to show you. Right. If, if you're taking this advice and trying to explain to the child on their level, to the extent that they're able to understand, you're able to explain and they're able to understand, at a certain point, then you, you just throw up and say, well, listen, you're going to do it because I tell you to do it. Yes. <laughs> But the point being to try to get them to see it. Maybe, maybe children, is, you got to talk one way, but to an adult, to try to explain to them. Explain to the neighbor why his making noise at 11 o'clock at night is disturbing to you. Maybe to explain it to them. Maybe, maybe it will sink in. That's the point that they're making. So to, to, illustrate, to illustrate this point about how you have to try to not just accept something because you have to. But rather, if a good explanation could be given, it changes the whole nature. When you're doing a mitzvah, if you're doing a mitzvah because you're satisfied with the reason, somebody took the time to explain to you why you're doing it, then it has a totally different uh, meaning. The whole experience is different. I've got to do it, so I do it. Nobody ever explained to me. We've had occasions here, sometimes I'll mention something and somebody will say, Oh, is that why we do it? I learned something. Wonderful. It's worth the whole place just for that. For sure. So listen to the Chazanish. <coughs> Chazanish was a saintly man, a wise man. And people would come to him with all kinds of questions and advice and to seek his guidance on issues. So a man comes to the Chazanish and says, 
They suggested, he was a single, they suggested a yeshidach, a match for me. They want me to meet this girl. They want me to meet this girl, a shidduch. They want me to meet this girl. And I heard some very nice things about her. And you know, I guess it was in the yeshiva or whatever, and I am planning on a life of Torah learning, kolel. Torah um so I'm going to devote myself to learning. He says, and so they called up that they have this girl that they think is perfect for me and the families match and uh, the financial arrangements uh, have already been discussed and really everything's in place and so on. And uh, I want to ask you advice about uh, whether I should go ahead with this shidduch. And he gives me the details. And he says that in order to impress the Chazanish that he should say yes because he's interested, everything sounds great. So he says to the Chazanish, and I was told that when they mentioned to her that I am planning on a life of Torah learning and the Kolil and so on, her reaction was, I'm willing to be a carbon. I love Torah so much, and if my husband-to-be is going to devote himself to Torah, it's worth all the hardships and all the um, self-denial of things that perhaps I would get if I was to marry, you know, a wealthy person and so on. I'm willing to, that's the word she used, I'm willing to be a carbon, that's a sacrifice. I'm willing to be a carbon to help him in his life of Torah. The Chazanish heard that, he said, stay away from this girl. Why? And then he said, why? What's wrong? So the Chazanish said, if this girl has no appreciation for a life of Torah. She doesn't see it as, as the, the luckiest girl in the world. My husband is, is, is growing and learning and so on. How happy we'll be in a spiritual sense. We may not have much on the table to eat, but it'll be a spiritual life, it'll be a Torah life, it'll be a wonderful life together with Torah values and so on. If she doesn't see it that way, and to her it's only it's a sacrifice I'm going to do without, and I'm willing to be a carbon, stay away from the ship. That's the Chazanish. Again, you can think about it, you can have your own opinions, but Chazanish was a smart man. So even though you may not agree totally with the advice, I, I'm, I, I've thought to myself, I, I think if a child of mine came to me in a situation like that, I think I might have said, well, why don't you meet her and see, and, you know, whatever. But the, the Chazanish was just turned off by that attitude. So that shows us that if we are able to, let's say the same girl, where she got that attitude, whether it was from the, the teachers in the Beis Yaakov, or whether it was from her parents, or her friends, or different influences that, that a young girl would have, and so on. I remember my sister, when she was that age, coming home in the, in the seminary, the, 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 the Rebbitzin taught her this and that, and so on, and it was a little difficult for my parents to accept a lot of that, and so on. So, obviously, they're getting influence from different places. But somehow, these a woman like that, a young girl like that, who was influenced by whomever, with sort of a negative attitude towards Cole, instead of accentuating the positive, not the negative, looking at us as a carbon, wrong. So in our own lives, if we're able to, again, show the wisdom of what we're saying, not just take it because, well, this is what has to be, and you're going to be in the cold hell, and you no. Show the positive sides to everything. If we walk away from that, we'll have had a lesson for life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.